from the trap of Satan. Staying away from the trap of the devil. Look, listen to 1 Timothy 3, 7, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version. It says, furthermore, we must have a good, listen to this, we must have a good reputation and be well thought of by those not in the church, outside the church, lest we become involved in slander, which is a scandal or dishonor, and incur reproach, which is rebuke, and fall into the devil's trap. At my house, I got this confounded armadillo digging up everything. And I talked to one of the guys here, and he's, he's going to show me where I can order an armadillo trap and guaranteed catch armadillos. Well, there's all kind of traps out there, but I want to promise you the trap I'm talking about today is real. The kind of trap I'm talking about is the kind that Satan set, and he set it just for you. He knows your scent. He knows what your bait is. He knows what you like, and believe me, he knows your name just as well as all the angels in heaven, and God himself knows you, he knows it. He knows it well. And many of you would already fallen to Satan's snare and trap. Isn't it neat to know that Jesus forgives you? But people don't. They don't forgive at all sometimes. They're kind of cruel. I like, I've sitting back here listening to the testimony of Greg's oldest son in the military. I haven't met anybody in here really that has any right whatsoever to judge anybody because I pretty much know about your past. And what I don't, I can guess, and most likely I'm right. But I know about my past too. And, and nobody wants to stand up and brag about your past, do you? Anybody? I'll, we'll let you. You just won't stand up and brag about what you've done. Now, we can brag on Jesus, amen? amen. And, I, I, you know, I don't want you pointing at my past. But, but Jesus has done some interesting things about what, about our past and about who we are in Christ. And I'm gonna, I want you to hear these verses because i got to hurry. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says, Jesus canceled the record that contained charges against you. Jesus took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Jesus. Because of the Christ of uh, cross, we can triumph of, that there's the triumph of Jesus over the powers of darkness made and has made you and I free and has delivered us from the possibility of sinful disaster. Colossians 1.13 says, The Father has delivered and drawn us to Himself out of the control and the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Ooh, I like what Paul said in Romans 6, beginning with verse 4. We are buried, therefore, with Him, that is Jesus, by the baptism into His death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, 
listen to this, so we too might habitually live and behave in the newness of life. For if we become one with Jesus by sharing his death, we also are one with him in sharing his resurrection, which is the newness of life. We know that our old nature, unrenewed self, Adamic nature, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our bodies, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be slaves of sin. For when a man dies, he's freed, loosed, delivered from the power of sin among men. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. If you know anything about John 10 or anything what Jesus has written about salvation, you know for a fact that the only way you and I could ever be freed from the power of sin is if he freed us. You and I are still making dumb choices. But it isn't based on your faith, it's based on your flesh. You see, you've been positioned in salvation eternally, but what Romans 6 says, you've also received a new position. Because you've also been positioned dead to yourself. Who did that? Wouldn't you? It was Jesus. Therefore, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5 that we're to walk daily in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit's in us. If you're saved, the Spirit is in you. But listen, you walk in the Spirit daily so you won't do what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. Therefore, what he says is, you and I cannot, we can walk in victory. We can walk in the cross and, and, and what Jesus did for us because we have been freed from this enslavement of sin. Before you and I were saved, we have the Adamic nature. After we're saved, we have the divine nature. We have Jesus. We have the new heart. Therefore, you and I can choose not to sin. There's nothing in this body or this mind that makes me sin but my choice. I think that's pretty liberating myself. We're free from Satan's dominion, according to Paul in the book of Romans chapter 6. And it happened when you, when, when you died with Jesus and were liberated from Satan's rule. He, according to Romans 6, 7, hath, he that is dead is free from sins. You and I are free because Jesus died and through the power of his resurrection, according to Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So what does the cross accomplish? I believe it's the finished work of Jesus. It covers you completely. There's nothing left to be, un to be done. The effectiveness of the cross covers your past. You're free from the penalty of sin and the punishment of hell. It covers your present. You're free from the power of sin, Satan's evil nature dominating your life. And it covers your future. When you and I die, we will spend eternity because of what Jesus did on the cross with the Lord Jesus in heaven. And he permanently removed us from the presence of sin. And while it's true that Jesus' work on the cross is what we need, all we need, you still, if you're not careful, will follow your flesh. 
we're in a human tent. Our choices sometimes are not based on faith in the work of Jesus, but in the flesh that will bring us to spiritual decline. It can bring us to this spiritual defeat, and Jesus didn't set it up that way. He set it up in a different way, and we need to learn how to walk in that. Well, how does Satan go about trapping, tripping? How does he go about messing with us? Well, one of the ways he does it is by hurting your reputation. Let me tell you something. Satan has a pretty good plan of, of, of energizing your old filthy potty mouth, of energizing your polluted living, of energizing your paralyzed faith, of energizing your poor decisions, and that all comes from flesh. That don't come from faith in Jesus. You learn to do that. You see, when it comes to Satan's trap, and as far as us falling into it or not, I I only have one point to leave with you, and that is, first of all, the divine escape plan. You see, Satan has, has set it up, but we have a divine escape plan. Now, Around here, we've, we haven't been brave enough. I'll just be honest. We haven't been brave enough to try to do the escape plan on Sunday morning and get y'all out of here at one time. We're scared. We are. We're, we're, we're afraid we'll have lawsuits everywhere because some of you are going to panic and trip and fall. Some of you going to run into somebody and get mad. You already don't like it because sometimes you don't get where you normally see. Can you imagine having a divine escape? I mean, a, a, a fire alarm here? It's scary. But nonetheless, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In other words, even though we have a divine escape plan, if you think you got a better one, I got news for you, you're just going to fall because that's your pride. You may elevate whatever you want to elevate, but you can't elevate and do any better on the escape plan that Jesus has. He said, there's no temptation taken to you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. Now, I think sometimes he pushes it, don't you? You know, with Christine in the hospital, Joe looked at me and said, Daddy, would you keep my dog? I said, son, I do a lot of things, but that's that the... You, that dog you got. He's done good to teach his kids, but he blew it with that dog. In my, fa- in, in my opinion, and I'm kind of abrupt with that, if you're not going to train that dog, don't feed it. Just go and let it die. Because it's just going to run out there and get run over anyway. I mean, come on. You mean to tell me you feed your kids and you don't train them? Well, now, when you get older, you're going to look at that dog like it was your child. Y'all don't like anything I'm saying. I can see that right now. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what I didn't like. I opened the door on the side of my garage, and that stupid white dog called Lacey got out. She shot out of that garage and run run down in my front yard and went. I said, come here, Lacey. And she went to the road and went left toward 278. Well, I come out of my flip-flops. That made me mad. (laughs) And here I am running down the road with grass all over my feet, I looked like a wild man, mad as I could be, trying to catch that little white dog. Well, here comes my neighbor. He said, what you doing? I said, I'm going to kill this dog, what I'm fixing. He said, I'll help you catch it. So me and him both out there trying to run and catch this dog. And we got cars and 
uh, starting to look at us and what is wrong with it? Has somebody robbed your house? I said, no, but I'd like to shoot somebody about right now. And it's that dog and my son. Well, anyway, that dog did everything in the world, do right the opposite of what I asked it to do. And finally, I just threw up my hands. I said, I've had it. I, you know, I got up this morning thinking it was going to be a pretty good day. It was Saturday night, but I got in the worst mood because of that dog. Y'all don't do that, do you? Get up, man, then something happens, and you, something goes, and you, and you get mad because it ain't going your way. Well, it, it wasn't going my way with that dog. So I come off the street, and my neighbor said, there he goes. Now, I didn't see him. He said, I said, where'd he go? He said, he went up. Straight to your house and cut right in your driveway. I said, I'll kill that dog. <laughs> I had to walk another thousand feet to get my van, turn it around, had flashing lights, and <clears throat> pull in, and there it sat, right at the front door, pointing toward the door. I wanted to kill it. I reached down, picked it up. But you know what? Sometimes we just act as ridiculous in our living toward sin as that dog did toward men. And we rebel. We don't want to do it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care how fast you run after me. Well, you know, God's just as patient as Satan is sometimes. And I like what he said, finishing out this verse. But will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What is Jesus saying? Well, or what is Paul teaching us here that Jesus taught him? I believe, first of all, that temptation is common to all people. Anybody in here that had, you, last week you weren't tempted to do anything? I mean, you didn't have any temptation toward anything. Raise your hand. I mean, you weren't tempted at all last week. You know, that's an amazing thing. I asked that question last week. Is anybody here not seeing? You couldn't answer it. Uh, raise your hand either. Why? Because we are tempted. Is temptation sin? No. It's just when you and I give in to it that it becomes sin. You see, he says, uh, James says in James 1, 4, every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust, and he is enticed. The word enticed speaks of three things. One is our enticement to sin comes from Satan. He's the tempter, the Bible says. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan can and does disguise himself as an angel of light. He can make evil look good. Sure can. And fool you if you're not on your toes. Second of all, <clears throat> enticement to sin comes from also the love of the world. 1 John 2.16 says, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the desire of sensuality, the desire of covetousness, and pride and egotism. Thirdly, it comes from man himself. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. Isn't it amazing sometimes that we have this ability inside that we like to blame other people for what happened to me? You see, temptation and trials come our way, but the Lord has a way of regulating them. He, so they will not be more than you're able to bear through His divine assistance. God will not allow you a temptation to come your way that is more powerful than your ability through Him, through Jesus, to resist it. There are people when people when people fall prey to wrongdoing, we often excuse it. 
kind of like the three-year-old little boy that was given an explanation for being in the kitchen on top of a chair eating cookies. He said, now, Mama, here's what happened. I just climbed up to smell them, and one of my tooth got hung in that cookie. And That sounds silly, don't it? Well, it ain't no more silly than what you do. You sitting trying to explain why you give in to temptation. I don't care how you explain it. Just silly as that little boy getting his tooth hung in that cookie. Well, there are those that have accepted God's plan biblically that turn temptation into triumph. That's what God said to do. We're told with that temptation... We're, we're to make that God provided a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God's planning for turning from temptation into triumph is not to endure temptation. It is to escape it. You endure trouble. You endure, endure trials. You endure testing, but you escape temptation. Many of us get in trouble because we endure temptation. What's that mean? Sit around and play with it. We mess with it, and we're told to escape it. You cannot escape trouble. You cannot escape temptation. You will not escape trouble, but don't think that you can't escape temptation. There's always an exit sign there for us. Second Peter 2, 9, the Bible tells us that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. You say, well, that that all sounds good, Mike. Well, Chuck Swindoll said there's three things we better do, uh, or he gives us three pieces of advice on how to deal with temptation. First of all, expect it. It's coming. Second of all, detect it. Call it a temptation. Don't sit there and wonder, oh, my goodness, my tooth hung in the cookie. No, you took the cookie and, and bit it. So you're sitting there participating, and thirdly, reject it. That's great advice. You see, sin is an undetected weakness plus an unexpected opportunity plus an unprotected life. How do we escape temptation? The first way is don't get into a tempting situation. Why is it that we normally as human beings, you know, if you've got an alcohol problem, the bar is the last place you need to be. If you've got a food issue and you're trying to lose weight, why do you go eat a salad at Piccadilly? Why do you do yourself that way? Man, all these cafeteria type Restaurants, don't you know there is a reason why they put all that strawberry, good-looking, lustful stuff with whipped cream all over it and cake and pies? That's first. You want to know why? Because they know you're not good at sticking to your diet. When you're tempted like that. And don't think Satan don't make it look good either. He does. Why do you you know that's why they got chewing gum and candy and and all that stuff right before you check out. I mean, you're done shopping. 
How many kids have you seen and parents sitting there stressing out because kids are going, Ah! I want a piece of gum! And then you wonder why they steal it. It's the last thing before I'm tempted. They done got the tar beat out of them. They know not to tell you they want it. They just put it in their pocket. <laughs> Later on, they ain't got no better sense to put it down there and they're chewing it. Where'd you get that? Uh, store? My. Oh, Lord, I say. Too many people are like the little boy sitting under an apple tree that belonged to the farmer next door. The farmer saw him and walked over to him and said, Son, are you trying to steal my apple? He said, No, sir, I'm trying not to. Why you won't sit on the apple tree if you're tempted to steal one? You see, when it comes to temptation, it doesn't matter to me what you're tempted. I, look, I, Satan already knows what you like. He's had plenty of experience. He sets it where it looks good to the eye. So what do we do with it? Run in the opposite direction. Is that biblical? Well, you know what? I think it is. Proverbs 16, 17 says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil, to run from evil. When you see evil starting to materialize and starting to take place, Take flight, resist it, run from it. You see, fleeing temptation may mean you have to do different things different in different situations. It may mean you get on a bus with Gus. It may mean you need to plan a new plan, Stan. It may mean drop off the keys, Lee, and get yourself free from that temptation, whatever it is. But to stand there and relish in it is only... An opportunity later down the road when you're at your weakest to fold. Well, I'm reminded. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There was a man who was browsing in a pet store, and he saw this beautiful parrot, a red string tied to the left leg and a green string tied to the right leg. And he asked the store owner why these strings were on the leg. He said, sir, this is a highly educated and very trained creature. If you pull that red string, he speaks French. If you pull that green string, he speaks Spanish. The man said, well, what happens if you pull both of those strings at the same time? Parrot looked at that man and said, I'll fall off my perch, you dummy. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you and I look temptation straight in the face, if you're not careful, you'll get clipped. You'll have both legs swept up. And when that happens, huh, painful is that fall. I don't know why it is, but I believe sometimes we think we're no better off than that parrot. But if you think you can whip it or learn how to handle it, it will end up handling you be way before you handle it. It's already handled. You just have to walk in what Jesus already put you. 
He puts you in salvation eternally. He's put you dead to flesh like he died. You're already dead in him. You just have to walk in him. You walk in yourself and it'll come alive. A recent prayer, and I'll close with this, sums up our problem. It goes like this. Dear Lord, so far today, I'm doing all right. I've not gossiped. I've not lost my temper. I've not been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I've not whined, complained, cussed, eaten any chocolate. I've not charged all my credit card at all. But in a minute, I'm going to be getting out of bed. And I think then, I really need some help. Now, let me tell you something. (laughs) When we get up, it all begins. You can lay down and ask God to protect your thoughts and minds, and he'll do it. But when you get up, temptation is coming. And it isn't because God is sending it. It's because Satan wants you to fall. He wants to embarrass you. He wants to destroy your testimony. And I like what Paul says. It's not temptation. It's not with temptation. It's not anything about temptation other than when temptation comes and you stand in there facing it face to face. God says, I have already given you a way of escape. Now you either take it or you say yes to the trap. I'm going to tell you something. The hatch is there. God doesn't lie. But oh, the pain of that hook when we don't pay attention. And you can't blame none of your temptation on God. And you can't blame any of your bad choices on anybody but you, me. Now, we can either stand up and be a man or a woman and look for this stuff. Or we can just divinely mess up. But it sure is painful to have that hook set in your weak part of your flesh when it could be a strength. With your head bowed and your eyes closed.